don't know if it's just me. Uh, did we notice a theme to the selections of hymns this morning? Was it on purpose or was it an accident? Uh, the first hymn we sung was uh, Troubles Here Below, Often Bring Us Woe. Sang tempted and tried, we're off made to wander. We sing now, nothing of earth is sure and vain hope soon dies. Sounds like y'all got a lot of problems in life. I think we've all got a lot of problems in life. Uh, the older... The older you get, the less important life is to us. Not the, the importance of living, but the less important this world is to us and the things of this world. So our thoughts this morning, uh, for a while again, I'd like to bring you another message concerning which is easier from Mark chapter 2. And Jesus healed a man sick of the palsy. He had originally said unto him, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Uh, he was not publicly criticized or chastised for this, but uh, in their minds the Pharisees thought to themselves as they reasoned in their hearts, Why did this man speak blasphemies? Only God can forgive sin. Of course, Jesus, being God who he is, read their hearts, read their minds, told them and exposed to the crowd exactly what they were thinking. And Jesus asked this question in Mark chapter 2 and verse 9, whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed, and walk. Obviously, we understand the immediate answer to that is it's easy just to say, thy sins be forgiven thee. It's easy just to speak words. Um, now, for those words to have meaning and those words to be true, completely different story. But it is easy to just speak a word. It is easy to tell somebody to do something that it is to teach somebody how to do something. I've got a couple of things that still remain sort of thoughts about this passage. Because Jesus then shows them, he says in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed and went before them all, insomuch that they were amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Well, that's a good statement. I guess they weren't primitive Baptists. It's never been done like this. It's never been done like this. Can't do it, right? Um, but in, as we pointed out also in Luke, they said, We have seen indeed strange things this day. 
But we never quite saw it in this way. And I'm confident that I, I think that there's a lot of people who've never quite seen God this way. They've seen Him in some ways, but hadn't quite seen the greatness of who and what He really is. There was a time in Job's life when Job knew of the Lord, but Job went through his difficulties. Job went through the loss of, of his finances and the loss of his health and, and the loss of his children um, and the miserable comforters that came to Job uh, didn't ease his troubles. They, they made his troubles worse. Um, and I think oftentimes it's more of a tendency of mankind as we try and get involved with things to maybe not intentionally, but we sometimes make things worse than what they are. And Job said, if I could find the Lord's place, I would, I would come before his throne and I would fill my mouth with arguments and I would argue my cause before him. And the Lord appeared to him. And the very first question he asked him was, where were you when I laid the foundations of this world? Tell me, answer me like a man, Job. And there was a series of, I don't know, 75 or 80 questions, maybe even more, that the Lord asked Job before Job got to respond. And when Job finally had a chance to answer and respond to God, he said, I put my hand over my mouth. And he would later say in that book, he would say, I have heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. When the, when the common people here in Mark 2 made this statement, we've, we've never seen it in this way. I think they very much could say, we have heard of thee with the hearing of our ear. They'd attended synagogue every Sabbath. They were familiar with the festivals, the holy days, the Sabbath days in, in Jewish history. They were familiar with these things. They, they had heard about this all their life. Our children have heard here sitting in the congregation our stories about God. But every generation has to discover who God is for themselves. They said, we've, we've heard about this great God, but we'd actually never seen this. And that, that brings out even a, a more interesting perspective on this passage. They said, we've never seen it on this fashion. We've never seen it this way. We've never seen a man just simply speak a word and a miracle occur. And yet the Israelites for 40 years wandered through the wilderness and they saw miracles day in and day out for 40 years. Is it possible even in our life as it was in Israel's life for miracles to become such commonplace that they're not miraculous anymore and they're not impressive anymore and they don't get our attention anymore? I think it is. I, 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 think, um, I think in a small way, the freedom that we have in America to assemble uh, unharmed, 
that we have, I think is, has been taken for granted by many people. Um, I, I think the ability that we have to meet with God's people in on what ought to be called a sacred day uh, has almost been treated as commonplace here in 2021. And it may just be, it may just be that our nation gets overrun with terrorists and God uses that to show us what a privilege and blessing what we have right now is. They said we've never seen it like this. There's a couple of things that I gather from this. Number one, the fruitless efforts of man. And number two, the effortless achievements of God. The fruitless efforts of man. Uh, when I concluded the, the sermon last Sunday, the one thing that I, I wanted to impress, I guess, upon myself or upon y'all, is it seems like I have a greater ability to fail than anything. It seems like in my life I have a greater ability to lose and fail than anything else. And, and I, I reckon that may be one way that the Lord is showing you life's not about you. Life's number one about Him. Life's number two about what you can do for others. Um, there was a, a time in Matthew chapter 17 when a man uh, had an afflicted son, a son possessed with a devil, that he brought his son to the disciples and uh, begged them to cast this devil out. And all the effort they made to, to heal this young boy of his affliction was, that, was fruitless. There, nothing came of it. And when Matthew 17, Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfigure with Peter and James and John, and their little ordeal is over, and he comes down to the base of the mountain. The man now comes to Jesus uh, and, and begs Jesus, cast out this devil out of my son. And, of course, nothing is too hard for the Lord. The disciples come to him and they say, Lord, why couldn't we do this? We tried and we tried and we tried. Nothing came about this. He said, this particular instance, this particular thing, Cometh out not, but by prayer and fasting. I look, I look around and I see, I see organizations around us. I see churches around us with this plan to save the nations and this plan to save the world and this plan we're going to go out and conquer this. And I think Jesus had a simpler plan a lot of times. Prayer and fasting. I haven't done a whole lot of praying in my life. I haven't done near as much as I should have. And you can see I'm not used to fasting. Their efforts were fruitless. Uh, but then again, that's just kind of the way that things are with man himself. Uh, if you turn to Genesis chapter 3, the origin of the fruitless efforts of man is laid out here for us. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, as Adam has sinned, God is judging Adam and Eve and the serpent in this passage. But we want to just look at Adam and Eve at this point. 
Here's the curse pertaining in Genesis chapter 3 to childbearing. He says, Unto the woman I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. He would greatly multiply the sorrow in conception. Um, There is indeed uh, the evidence of a fruitless effort of man, of those who have tried to have children and cannot. Perplexing mankind is. For you have those on one side of an argument saying, I can have children. I choose not to. If I do expect children, I'll just abort it. The childbirth on one hand to some is disgusting. You have those on the other hand who want to have children and cannot. They've tried everything that they can. And it's come to naught. And to them they're discouraged. Because they can't have children. Mankind constantly finds himself in a position where he's unhappy with what he has. Whether you're like the young lady in First Kings who could not have children and she poured out her heart to God, bless me with a child and I will give the child back to thee. And God answers the prayer and blesses her with the young man, Samuel. Whether that's your case or whether you're on the other side saying, wow, children's the last thing I needed and yet I've got them anyways. Um, I find that it's very hard sometimes for people to just be content where they are. Now, I don't. I wouldn't dare stand here and tell you that if you want children and you don't have them, just be happy. That's just foolish. Those are the words of mankind. Oh, it's okay. The Lord's in charge. Just be happy about it. Well, why don't I? Right? I'm discouraged. Why don't I just cheer up? I don't know. Why don't I just jump over the top of the house? I can't do things just because I want to do things. He says, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. I've been told that there's nothing worse to a woman who has born children to see those children go off and fall into sin and error and disgrace themselves. This is kind of what Peter was talking about in the New Testament. He says that the woman is saved in childbearing if you know they continue in honesty and charity. When, when she sees her children growing up in the truth, when she sees her children growing up in the church, when she sees her children doing uh, that which is right, there's a deliverance that comes. There, there's a, a satisfaction that comes that you've brought forth life into the world, you've brought forth a child into the world, and the child is making a difference for what is right. Uh, a few years ago, uh, during the Obama administration, our streets were filled with protests over... Uh, who gets to use a bathroom? Y'all, y'all remember all that mess. Uh, and I just, I remember hearing a lot of parents encouraging, a lot of liberal parents encouraging their liberal children who were marching up and down the streets, yes, yes, stand for what you believe in. Stand for what you believe in. Stand for what you believe in. And my thought was, 
Yeah, well, if you don't know the truth, I guess stand for what you believe in. It's one thing to encourage somebody to stand for what they believe in. It's another thing to encourage somebody to stand for the truth. Because there was a lot of there was a time in American history where where people believed blacks were unimportant, where people believed women were unimportant, where people, of course, nowadays believe children are unimportant. Are we going to stand for what we believe in, or are we going to stand for what's true? That all men and women are created equal. What are you going to stand for? Well, I guess if you don't know the truth, I guess you'll stand for whatever you believe is right. Here he says, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. And then he goes to the man. And he says, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. Ooh. Why aren't we still stuck with that today? I know a lot of good men who cannot be leaders because the women won't let them. They attempt to tell a story. They attempt to be a leader. They attempt to be in charge. And she's right behind him, nagging and biting on him. That's not right. You're not saying it right. You're not saying this. Blah, 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 blah. We're all destroying ourselves. We really are. We are our own worst enemy sometimes. And he says to the man, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art. And unto dust shalt thou return. Thorns also and thistles grow wild and they grow naturally. If you just let your yard go, what's it? If you don't tend your garden, if you don't tend your yard, what's it look like? Better homes and gardens, or a disaster and a nasty mess. Thorns and thistles grow naturally. Thorns and thistles come naturally to us, and so does sin. It's just something that is there constantly. And he says that this will be in the sweat of thy face. Verse 19, shalt thou eat bread. Not the sweat of thy brow. It's the sweat of thy face. Shalt thou eat bread until thou return unto the earth. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And I... I you ever been to that funeral where they quote that famous passage in the Bible, ashes to ashes and dust to dust? You ever you ever heard that, that Bible passage? Where is it? Ain't one. This is the Bible passage. Dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. But something something is said so frequently. And people don't sometimes bother to check where it comes from. And so they just assume it's the truth. Which is easier. But at this point, we're recognizing it's very hard to understand sometimes what is true. 
sin just overruns us so often. And he said to Adam, The sweat of thy face shalt thou eat. Thorns also and thistles shall come to thee. In the Gospel of of Mark, chapter 6. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, Jesus fed uh, 5,000 people with a few loaves and fishes. He, he's, he's constantly doing things around, around His disciples that are impossible. This is one of the amazing things about the life of Christ. He is constantly doing the impossible around His disciples. And they still don't understand who He is. It is still... Well, he's the man in the boat who calms the waves and the waters and they look at each other and say, what manner of man is this? They say about him, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey his voice? He heals the sick of the palsy and they say, we've seen something strange today. We've never seen it like this. Who indeed is this character that stands before us on a regular basis? I don't think they ever fully comprehended the God they had in front of them. He feeds 5,000 here with a few loaves and fishes. And as they're done, they take up the bread and fragments. and There's 12 baskets left. Amazing. Sends his disciples away. He says, y'all get in a boat. Y'all sail, sail over to the other side of the, to the sea. And I'm going to depart over here in, into a mountain by myself and, and pray a while. And his disciples get out in the boat and they're sailing across to the other side, but there's a problem that arises. This is Matthew, uh, excuse me, Mark. This is Mark chapter 6 and verse 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing for the wind was contrary unto them. Something you cannot see. The wind. was contrary to them. Uh, if we're honest about ourselves, there's something we cannot see, which is the future. We spend our life, I think, fighting against those things we cannot see. Uh, we spend our life toiling. And what's even more amazing is you, you have these fishermen who are used to dealing with the elements of the sea, the elements of sailing, the elements of fishing. And yet here arises a trouble so great, they cannot just will themselves through it. They cannot just effort themselves through it. Something great has come upon them that they themselves cannot overcome. And they row and they toil all night long and they get nowhere. I don't know about y'all, but that fits my life a lot of times. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, we have a saying at work when my boss tells me to go do a job. He says, be easy. Easy like Sunday morning. There, there was a song that came out in the 60s called Easy Like Sunday Morning. Evidently, the person that wrote that song didn't have to get three children dressed for church 
on Sunday morning. Only person who can write a song easy like Sunday morning is somebody who ain't doing nothing on Sunday morning. Is a person who ain't going anywhere on Sunday morning. How was your Sunday morning? Left early enough to get to church on time, didn't you? What did you get stopped by? 47 people on bicycles. I might want to run them over. I don't know. What I'd like to do, what I thought about was, let's hunt them down, get their names and addresses, and tomorrow when they get up to go to work, we'll put a big roadblock in front of their house for 40 minutes. How you like that? They don't do it. Man. So I've learned now that whenever my boss tells me this will be easy, it's going to take me about three extra days, cost me about $20,000. And when it's all said and done, I should have just done with it what I do with the Pop-Tarts or with the Hot Pocket. Take it out of the package, put it straight in the trash. That's what I should do. When he handed me the paper, I should have just taken it, thrown it in the trash, quit, maybe go home. Friday is, is turned out to be one of the worst days for me at any time on any job I've ever had. If something can go wrong, it will go wrong on Friday. Y'all have that, y'all have that same problem too? Come on, tell me that ain't so. It is the worst day of the week for me. I need to be here. We need to be here on Friday night to have church or something. I guarantee you, even though we close at 4 on Friday, at 4.05, or we close at 4.30, at, at 4.25, five people are going to walk in the door. And we're going to be there for an hour and a half. I don't know why. I think folks just meet down at the Waffle House and they stay there for most of the day. And then when they get done, they come over here to irritate me. I don't know what it is. Is that what it? These men should have known what it takes to get across this ocean or see wherever they're at. They should have known what it takes to overcome this. But the good news is not that they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and they overcame the obstacle. The good news was sitting on a mountain in the dark of night when nobody else could see them, Jesus himself saw them toiling and rowing. And if he saw them when nobody else could see them, he can see you when nobody else can see you. He sees, he hears, and he understands. And as he came unto them, he came unto them walking upon the sea. Now, there's a question for you. Which is easier, to see in the dark or to walk on the ocean? He sees them. When nobody else can see them, and he is the only one who is able to come to them where they are in their circumstance. And he comes walking upon the sea. I think this would be a pretty good time for someone to say, we ain't never seen it like this before. And yet it says they supposed it to have been a spirit. And they cried out. One of the other accounts says they cried out of fear. They were afraid. But he spoke to them. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. The fruitless efforts of man 
were very quickly fixed by the effortless achievements of God. Mankind himself is really good in creating problems for others. He creates enough problems for himself, I grant you that, but uh, man is pretty good in creating problems for other people. In Matthew chapter 23, uh, verse 1, it says that then Jesus spake to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not after their works, for they say and do not. I have a problem with this verse. I'm not going to read any further right now, but I have a real problem with this verse. I don't like this verse. Y'all hear me? Do you like this verse? You don't like it either. Because for the last year and a half, our government has told us, quit your job, stay home, wear a sack on your head everywhere you go, and what have we said? We will not comply. We are in violation of this text. Well, the reason you're not obeying this text is you don't have enough faith in God. Probably. But I got even less faith in our government than I do in God. That's what the text says. But I don't trust people. You're supposed to trust God, though. I don't trust people. Paul says, when I would do good, evil is present with me. And as a sinful person, guess what? I still won't comply. But that's what the text says. But listen to what the text actually does say. Whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not after their works, for they say and do not. And that is true. They told us to stay home and shut our businesses down while they went out unmasked and partied. Notice what the very next verse says. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them upon men's shoulders. It's offensive to me. It's offensive to me for our government to tell me to shut my business down. Shut your business down. You go home. You not get paid. And yet they still get a paycheck off of our taxes. That's offensive to me. They bind heavy burdens on us, on other people. That's why they're lifelong politicians. They don't want to live by the very rules they set themselves. I think two terms ought to be it for everybody in government. Zero for most of them. They bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders. But listen to this. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Now, we would be asking the question, which is easier? To bind up a great big burden and set it on somebody or to just move something with your finger? It's easier just to kind of poke something with your finger, isn't it? But what are they more interested in? A lot of times more men are more interested in that which is more complicated. If it's not complicated enough, they don't think it's right. Our tax system is complicated because a bunch of eggheads are doing this and not common folk. 
tax system will be very simple. What did you make? 10% goes to the government. That's it. It's that simple. Even God himself only requires 10%. It's really not any harder than that. Unless you're trying to complicate something. The Bible talks about in Proverbs. In Proverbs, the Bible talks about that strange woman whose ways are constantly changing, lest thou figure her out. Government's the same way. People, human beings, the same way. People are trying to pull something over on you. People are trying to lie to you. They're constantly changing their situation, constantly changing their story. Some people are constantly changing their address so the credit card company can't get them and this person can't get them. Oh, man, we're a bunch of sneaky infidels, ain't we? Men are more oftentimes interested in the complicated than they are in the simple. And Jesus says they would not move them with one of their fingers. Uh, Peter had this same argument in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 15, uh, in dealing with the churches in that day. He said that there were some men coming in trying to add circumcision and Mosaic law and all sorts of different things to the proclamation of the gospel. And what Peter said to them is in Acts, chapter 15, verse 10, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. There's a lot of folks who are entangled in bondage nowadays, in religious bondage, because mankind, human beings, because of the sin that is in them, they gravitate oftentimes towards that which is most complicated. Because when you tell them that Jesus Christ died for your sins, put your sins away as far as the east is from the west, and he is going to save you in spite of your best efforts, he's still going to save somebody by his grace and for his glory. They say to us, that's too hard? No, that's too easy. It can't be that way. Well, let me ask you a question. Which is easier? To say unto a man, fulfill these 37 commandments, or to say unto him, thy sins be forgiven. But to show you that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he rose from the dead. How about that? Uh, the Bible is... One more. One more. The, the Bible is just full of constant scriptures that remind us that when God deals with things or when you look at things sometimes from God's perspective, I always look at I always look at what I have to do for the day as in which is the hardest task. And I either go ahead and get it done or I'll, I'll put it off to the very last minute. I don't know about y'all, but that's the way I act. I look at it and I say, which is the hardest thing to do? And I either go ahead and do it first to get it out of the way or I just put it off and put it off and put it off. Y'all are probably like me. Y'all are all pretty good procrastinators at times, right? And as a matter of fact, I procrastinated so much yesterday, I didn't even get it all done, so I'm going to procrastinate some more today. Right? I asked my wife what was for supper today, and she says, nothing. I said, you made nothing last night. She said, I made enough for two days. <laughs> so, but notice this. 
Um, I, I think a lot of times people forget that the element, she's not here, and so I can say that. She might be looking on Facebook, and so when I get home, I'll be in trouble, but I'll deal with that later. Uh, she she been forgot by then. Uh, people oftentimes, though, forget in their daily lives the element of God. Have you ever heard this? Uh, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Have you ever heard this statement? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Have you ever heard this statement by the preacher down the street? Uh, if you'll just preach the gospel so simple, a little child can understand it. You'd be a great soul winner for Jesus. It's all about how you explain it. If you just preach it so simple that a child can understand it, you'd be a great soul winner for Jesus. Of course, when you get delving into what they're explaining, it's a convoluted, complicated mess, actually. Because they say it's all by grace, but uh, the mentally retarded get to be saved one way, the, the infant who's aborted gets to be saved another way, the, the person uh, in the jungle who's never been reached by the gospel, they get to be saved another way. You get all these other people get to be saved different ways, but it's all by grace. Except for you who hear this, you've got to accept it. And if you don't accept it, y'all are all going to hell. Well, what about the people in the jungle who never heard it? Well, they get to go to heaven based on their ignorance. So the simplest thing is, is when the missionaries come home to give their report, the first thing you ought to do is shoot them. Because by taking the gospel to other people, you're now making them responsible for what they're hearing and making them liable for hell. And if everybody just gets to go to heaven on ignorance, shoot all the preachers. I quit. Uh, but somebody says, if you just preach it so simple, a child can understand you'll be a great soul winner for Christ. Let's listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's see if that's what the Apostle Paul said. Let's see if this is what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. I have planted, Apollos watered, and our simplicity gave the increase. That's not what the text says, is it? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. All the efforts of man in life to do anything are fruitless unless God gets in. That's the reality of that situation. Uh, in the book of Haggai, he told them that you've, you've uh, sown much, you've brought in great things, you've accomplished great things, but you put it in a bag with holes in it. So all this effort that you did really was nothing because I blew on it and I caused it to decrease and I blew it away. When Jesus asked them which is easier, they didn't understand the man asking the question. In John chapter two, they told. Uh, in John chapter two, he told them in verse nineteen, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it again." And their response to that question was, "What do you mean you'll raise it again in three days? Forty and six years it took our forefathers to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up again in three days?" John tells us, though, he spoke about the temple of his body. They misunderstood 
They misunderstood the implications of what he was saying. However, had he been talking about the physical temple they were looking at, he could have still raised it up in three days or three minutes or three seconds if he wanted to because he's the very God of glory that spoke this entire world into existence in six days. In six days, the God of glory spoke this world into existence. He's not out there with cranes and backhoes and dump trucks and dirt movers and dirt haulers and jackhammers. Creating this, He just simply speaks it into existence. I've never had the power of my words like that. He Himself says, I will speak, and my word shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish in that which I speak it, speak to. I, David said in Psalm 8, he says, you know, when I consider the heavens, thy handiwork, the stars, and everything in the firmament, he says, when I consider that which is thy work of thy fingers. That's Psalms 8 and verse 3. Consider the stars as the finger work of God. How simple and how small does something need to be to be the finger work of an individual? You bake a cake, get them big spoons out and whip it around and this, that, and the other. And how much salt, how much sugar, how much does grandmother add? Oh, there's a dash in there. There's a touch of this. It's enough, you just pick it up with your fingers and you throw it in. It's, it's no trouble for her. You look at these great stars out here. Some of them so large they cannot fit between the space between the earth and the sun. Stars that large are considered the finger work of Almighty God. When Moses stood before Pharaoh and his men in the book of Exodus... One of the plagues was the plague of lice. Y'all remember that? God uh, blessed Moses to strike the sand, and the sand became lice, and there was lice on everybody. And Pharaoh looked at his men and said, can you do this? Now, that's, that's an interesting thing right there. The nation is plagued with lice. And Pharaoh looks at his men and said, can you do this same thing? If they could have done the same thing, only thing they would have done was increase the plague. Would they have been happy by increasing the plague? I don't know. They might would have. I think our people have been happy with an increased plague, but that's a story for another time. But they look at, in Exodus chapter 8, they look at him and they say, we can't do this. This is the finger of God. Just the very finger of God has touched their land and created this grand plague. It's an effortless achievement. But when you think about this, Genesis 1 says that He spoke the world into existence. David made it a little more complicated than that, but he went from the spoken word to just finger word. Regardless of how much more harder you make it, it's still the easiest thing possible for God to do. Psalm 98 
and verse 1 is, is a beautiful passage. Psalm 98 verse 1 says, Sing unto the Lord, for his right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. He's talking about the victory over sin. When God lays out in his Bible his accomplishment of creating the world and his accomplishment for dying for your sins, he says it was harder to die for sin than it was to create the world, but it's no harder than what my right hand and my arm has just done in picking up this tiny book. Which is easier? Jesus said to him in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12, if I with the Spirit of God cast out devils, the Spirit of God, the moving of God, the Holy Spirit of God empowering Christ to do this. He says, by whom do your sons cast out devils? Such an easy There was a man that came to Christ one time who was a leper in, uh, in Matthew chapter 8. I think it's Matthew chapter 8. About the first two verses of that. Came to him who was a leper and worshipped him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Our nation is full of sickness nowadays. Our world is full of sickness. Our people are full of troubles and trials on every hand. I don't think there's anybody here who wakes up, who will wake up tomorrow morning saying, Monday morning, let's go get in trouble. Now, the older you get, the less you like trouble and the less you like drama. The older you get, the more peace you want. Not a piece of pie, but peace in your life. The more peace and quiet. And sometimes I wish my kids just would be peaceful and quiet. Just one of them be peace and one of them be quiet. I don't care which one of you it is. Just one of you be peace, one of you be quiet. And they say, well, that's not my job, right? Uh, the older you get, though, the less trouble you want, the less problems you want, the less drama you want in life. But here comes the next generation who hadn't quite learned that lesson yet. Here comes the next generation behind us, marching in the streets and burning down the buildings. Here comes the news media behind us. I'll tell you what, if you want, if you want a terrible, no good, horrible, rotten day. Watch the news 24 hours a day. Because their design is to make you have a terrible, horrible, no good, rotten day. Commercials are designed to make you unhappy with who you are, what you have, who you're married to, and where you're at. That's their design. See, If you're not unhappy with what you have, if you're content, so for example, this book right here I hold in my hand, 
This book was given to me in 1997. I have not replaced it in 30, how long is that? 20, 25 years? I have not, 24 years, replaced this book in 24 years. Bible makers are going to go out of business and find themselves in poverty if they expect me to support them. But if you've got a preacher who says, well, this book is not good enough, I've found you another one. He's going to have you running down to the bookstore every other week to get you a brand new copy. What's keeping a lot of these folks in business, people are unhappy. People are miserable. Jesus came to this man and said, or this man came to Jesus and said, if thou art willing, thou canst make me clean. I've got troubles in my life. You've got troubles in your life. And I'm willing for every one of my troubles to go away. But they don't. I'm willing for every problem that I have to go away. I'm very willing to wake up tomorrow morning to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And to be rich beyond my expectations. And I never have to work, worry, or want again. How about y'all? You know, if, if, if it was just up to me being willing, well, that'd be great, wouldn't it? We'd wake up tomorrow morning and all our problems would be gone. But it's not up to me being willing. It's up to Christ. The woman who had the issue, the Bible tells us that she went to doctors, she spent everything she had and, not grew, and grew no better. But when she heard that Jesus was in the town, she heard that Jesus was there, she went and touched the hem of his garment saying, if I could but touch him, I would be whole. Because not in the touching was the power to be whole, but in the one who was touched, there was the power. Elijah one time went and hid in a mountain, First Kings. Elijah one time went and hid in a mountain after being chased by Jezebel. It's about, what, First Kings 18, 19, somewhere around in there. And as he's standing here hiding in this cave in a mountain, a great wind comes by. The Bible tells us that God was not in the wind. There was a great earthquake that came through, but God was not in the earthquake. There was a great fire that came through, but God was not in the fire. These things that we would look out, these world disasters came by to destroy the land around it, but God really wasn't involved in it. It was just an act, as we would call it, maybe an act of nature. But as, as Elijah stood there in the mouth of this cave, it says that there was a still, small voice that spoke to him. Uh, which is easier? To have a quiet, small voice? Or to have a loud, booming voice? It's a lot easier to have a quiet, still voice, isn't it? But it's impossible to have a still, small voice. If you know anything about anatomy, biology, you know that in order for you to have a voice, your vocal cords have got to be active. They've got to move. They've got to be, vib they be vibrating. There's got to be activity in here. This voice cannot be still. So how is it that you have a still, small voice? 
Well, number one, nothing's too hard for the Lord. But essentially what the Bible is saying here is that, is that God did not appear in front of Elijah and speak to him as I'm speaking to you. God spoke to Elijah in his spirit. God spoke to Elijah, say, in his conscience, in his thoughts, and in his mind. I cannot speak to you when you're lying awake at night trying to ponder the solution for the problem that faces you tomorrow. I cannot speak to you while you're sitting in your tree stand or in your car or hiding in your bedroom, whatever it is. I cannot speak to you. I have to speak to you now face to face. But it's only God Almighty who Himself can find you wherever you are and wherever you're at and speak directly into your heart and your mind with no audible person around, with nobody else around but the birds and the leaves and the squirrels. God himself has the ability to speak directly to your heart in a still, small, quiet way and say to you, Peace be still. Thou art mine. There is a job for the preacher to do. There is a job for communication between us that we exhort one another daily. But our job does not trump God. Does not trump God. Our job does not override God. Our job does not replace God. This text in Mark chapter 2, when this, these friends brought their wounded person to Christ, is a simple reminder to us that the most important person in your life is Christ himself. And that he is the only one who can consistently do the impossible for you wherever you are, regardless of your situation and regardless of your status in life. He did the impossible for those who didn't believe. He did the impossible for this man who may not even have been consciously awake at that time. And then that one time where he was on the boat... And they said, Behold, what manner of man this is that even the winds and the waves obey him. Remember that? The text there, if you'll read the context, in one of those accounts in the gospel, it says that not only was he out there in this little ship, but there were other ships around him in the same storm. He did the impossible for those who weren't even aware he was there. That's the greatness of our God. He does things that are for His glory. Sometimes we don't even know about it. So if we do know about it, then that gives us greater cause to be grateful for the things we do know. Appreciate y'all's kind and patient attention this morning.